The 20th century poet Judith Wright was once described as our conscience of the nation. She's one of only two Australian poets to be considered for the Nobel Prize for Literature. She was also a committed conservationist and Aboriginal lands rights activist. Have a listen to the actor Kevin Brenner reading her poem, Drought Year. That time of drought, the embered air burned to the roots of timber and grass. The crackling lime scrub would not bear, and Mooney Creek was sand that year. The dingo's cry was strange to hear. I heard the dingo's cry in the whipstick scrub on the thirty-mile drive. I saw the wagtail take his fill, perching in the seething skull. I saw the eel wither where he curled in the last blood drop of a spent world. I heard the bone whisper in the hide of the big red horse that lay where he died. Prop that horse up, make him stand, hoofs turned down in the bitter sand, make him stand at the gate of the thirty-mile dry. Turn this way and you will die. And strange and loud was the dingo's cry. That's from the ABC archive, Drought Year. Judith is predominantly known for her poetry. But she also wrote reams of non-fiction, which for the first time have been put together into a new collection edited by the scholar Georgina Arnott. The book includes her essays, her speeches, her criticism, extracts from her own monographs. And the West Australian historian Tony Hughes' death has been closely mining the collected material because he believes it offers a whole lot more than usual in terms of Australian identity, really. And he joins me now. Welcome once more to Saturday Extra. It's a pleasure to be here, Geraldine. For a certain generation, Judith Wright was a towering figure in literature. But for those who don't know her, tell us a bit about her life, please. Judith Wright grew up on a pastoral station near Armadale in uh, New England. And uh, it was a wealthy family and uh, it was a certain kind of society, I suppose, of other wealthy pastoralists. Uh, at an early stage, her, her mother died and uh, she became a, a kind of, um, was forced to grow up, I suppose. She was clearly um, brilliant. Um, she went to University of Sydney. Um, in 1937, she travelled to Europe uh, as a number of other people of her generation and of her class did, mm. uh, and she was um, terrified by <laughs> what was happening there, which was uh, the world, which was the bastion of civilization. Europe was descending headlong into a, a terrifying war, a war which was probably um, almost unique in, in exceeding its own terrors prior to that particularly the way that it culminated in the, the Holocaust and the nuclear mm. attacks. And all of these things kind of formed her when she came back um, to Australia. Um, she, she started to write poetry that uh, it was partly in the Australian sort of ballad tradition, I suppose, in that it was writing about her own um, family's kind of pioneering origins, really, and, and the bush myths that, that circulated her family. But uh, what was really notable about it when it first appeared in 1946 in, in, in the collection, the moving image of first collection, was uh, a, a moral seriousness that was probably just not visible before that in, and a particular critique of um, 
the pioneering myth, which uh, still feels quite scandalous when you read it. Well, in fact, um, you say that uh, she was all always ahead of her time and that this is something to... Re- she, she pivoted, my goodness, she pivoted, to use the word of the moment, um, much more than people might really realise. I mean, her first collection, The Moving Image, that was in 1946 and she was 31. That remains one of the landmark Australian literary works of the last century. But really, there's a lot of changes. And I think you believe that's what's on offer in this book. Yeah. So uh, she has a remarkable life. I mean, if all she'd done was publish The Moving Image, she would still be a remarkable and uh, towering figure. I mean, one of the things that's really that really strikes me about reading The Moving Image. Before The Moving Image, um, when you wrote, read poems about Australia by colonists or, or you know, uh, settler Australians, Australia was always imagined as kind of um, young, a very young country or uh, kind of ineffably old, this ancient land. But Wright does something that, that's quite surprising. She, she, she treats Australia as middle-aged, kind of <laughs> neither young nor old, but kind of in the throes of things. So it's got some scars. It's got some sort of problems. So she brings that kind of um, kind of down-to-earth sensibility, but also there's, there's moral seriousness. Now, she kept writing poems and that sort of and She was celebrated as a poet. But what happens really uh, is increasingly she turns to uh, a political activism. Most particularly she turns to uh, the issue of conservation. Yes, and she, some of the the themes feel very contemporary. That that environmental writing, I mean, she really was years ahead, wasn't she, of, of people's con- consciousness about this? I feel we still haven't caught up. Yeah, it's, <laughs> uh, yeah the, the, the matters that she's raising, and, and she's in no under no illusions about the magnitude of the task ahead, uh, which she she writes in in her, her essay on conservation from 1968, conservation as a concept, that it, it's a complete rethinking of what it means to be in the world. And she said, in Australia, we've we've grown up and it's ingrained as in our mo, if you like, mm. uh, to take the land. Our biggest problems were, you know instrumental problems. Do we have enough water? How do we get this to port? How do we ship it off? What's the market going to do? It was just maximising return for investment. That was how Australia kind of operated. And realising that um, by by the 1960s, uh, we we had reached and exceeded limits, um, which which right now we're we're, um, really starting to appreciate. But back then, that was uh, fanciful Mm. and she was treated as a crank. Well, in 1962, and she sort of, she she acted as well as talked about it, she founded the Wildlife Preservation Society of Queensland, which ended up being, um, you say, quite a significant political movement. Yeah, I mean, you've got to remember, like, Queensland, um, you know, I'm from Western Australia, Queensland's another, um, I guess, frontier state in, in, in that period and a resource state. So everything was kind of geared to that way. Um, we talking about the Bjelke-Peterson era. Uh, there was moves to um, uh, drill for oil in the Great Barrier Reef, um, to sand mine Fraser Island. Uh, basically the same, uh, the same approach kept um, being adopted, which was how can we make money from this thing? Mm. And her little sort of society, I suppose, just pr- preservation of wildlife, sounds sort of quaint like some bushwalks or people who like uh, looking at birds or whatever. Uh, ended up becoming 
um, politicised to a high level, such that uh, it, it really is one of the, the key uh, moments in the birth of the Australian conservation movement. Mm. She was also an early champion of Indigenous writing. As a publisher's reader, for instance, at Jacaranda Press, she pushed for Kath Walker, who was later known as Ujiri Nunakal, to be published. And this was the first time an Indigenous poet had been published. Uh, yes, as poetry. Um, I mean, there's David Unipon, but but to have a... Um, this was published on, under um, Kath Walker, she was known then. Yeah, it, it, it just happened to come across the desk of Truth Rights. She was the, the reader for that press and there was a, it was an incredibly um, popular book. Like, it sold hundreds of thousands of copies It was uh, and it became a real landmark. But critics, on the whole found it to be simplistic, childlike, uh, repetitive, overly political, uh, and found and denigrated in every possible way as art, but nice enough, you know, mm. for its politics. Wright, who was, you know, a brilliant poet in her own right and grew up in, you know, within those kind of literary traditions, took a very different line. She immediately realised this is radical. This is, a, this is something completely new. Uh, we shouldn't Stop trying to bring categories that uh, find it lacking things. This is an Aboriginal person speaking in poetry, and this is an amazing uh, moment mm. in history. And just having the uh, the courage to, uh, I guess, abandon her privileges around um, owning aesthetic judgment, and and to to see something as his, of historical or epochal uh, significance. I find it really amazing. Yeah, well, she served on the Aboriginal Treaty Committee from 1979 to 84, and she wrote We Call for a Treaty in 1985. So, you know, she sort of, again, she put her money where her mouth was. But look, there's another gorgeous thing that where she was ahead of her time, um, that she, basically, she had to cope with not being taken fully seriously by the males amongst her. To sentimentalise women is to despise them, she writes, in Women Writers in Society. And there's this amazing um, words of Vincent Buckley, the the great uh, poet from the 1950s. When Wright is content to be a woman, enduring the profound incident of women's life, she's able, paradoxically enough, to transcend her womanliness and be a very fine poet. When she attempts to be not a woman but a bard, commentator or prophet, she becomes a bit of a shrew, which is the worst and most unwomanly of things that a woman may become. Honestly, Tony, that took my breath away. (laughs) Yes, yes. uh, And she calmly repeats that. She adduces that quote years later. And what I find amazing about her is just her moral dignity. Um, She she always looked... um, I guess past the immediate situation, sure, she's being denigrated uh, in this moment in, 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 in a cheap and idiotic way by um, someone who, who thought he was good. But the way she approaches her position is always um, not, not to be defensive but to sort of to, to rise above, I think. She's a, she's a beautiful poet. I mean, her second volume of poems, Woman to Man, is all about her, um, the poems written to her, her baby in her in her womb, and she 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 has a real sense of the importance of woman. Uh, it's hard to um, describe it sort of in in normal feminist terms, but she um, she understood that there was a particular place for woman and a particular place for men, and and then beyond that there was an. And that, and that was okay, but beyond that there was the the actual problems of the world. Her other poem, Two Fires. 
I mean, it's such a uh, – sorry, another book of her poems, Two Fires. I think the two fires are also Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but they're also like the fire that started the world and the fire that will likely end the world. And she, she just has an incredible metaphysical side to her, uh, which you see in her prose writing in, in Georgie's book, but, um, but she applies that to the world in practical ways. A prophet in the truest sense – of the word, who never forgot where she came from. That's one thing, that she was of the conquerors, you say. Yeah, and I think that's what Wright does in her poetry, um, in Moving Image, is to make a history that everyone knew about but didn't want to talk about, which was uh, violent dispossession, uh, genocide. She makes that intimate. She's like, there's a poem called Eroded Hills. Like, these are the hills whose, wo- whose woods my father stripped. You know, so she makes these things, she owns uh, the acts, the destructive acts, the appropriative acts, uh, the exploitative acts. They're her. She doesn't say, that. oh, that happened before me, nothing to do with me. Those were the times, that's how people were. She says, this is me. I am of the conquerors. And I think it's that, and because it began in, in her own questioning of her own family, in a paradoxical sort of way, it ended up making her able to s- see the world, the problems of the world, with a, with an, um, a striking clarity. Wow. Okay. Uh, Tony Hughes-Death, it's uh, lovely to talk to you again. Thank you. Ah, it's great to be here again. Thank you very much. And uh, Tony Hughes-Death is Chair of Australian Literature at the University of WA. And the new book we discussed is Judith Wright, Selected Writings, edited by Georgina Arnott, and it's published by La Trobe University Press. And one of our texters has said, as you no doubt know, Judith Wright and Nugget Coombs, the, uh, the great bureaucrat, were lovers. The suburbs of Wright and Coombs are now nestled side by side in Canberra's new Malonglo region. That's from David Wade in Canberra. That is, that is really nice.